This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. I want to begin looking at some important questions that we need to have answered today. And one of those that we're going to look at is, what am I worth to God? You know, we think generally of the value of something in terms of the price that is paid for it. We consider a car more valuable than a piece of bubble gum. But if someone has no use for a car, maybe that piece of bubble gum is worth more to them. But have you ever considered what we are worth? Our physical body is an amazing unit consisting of muscles and veins and arteries and various organs, its skeletal structure, you know, and on and on we could go. Your body is made up of about three quarters water, and yet we have more than 100 trillion cells, which arranged end to end would circle the earth 200 times. Our skin on average would cover 20 square feet and weigh nine pounds. Our heart beats about 40 million times a year, pumping about 1,800 gallons of blood per day through 60 to 100,000 miles of arteries, veins, and capillaries. Our nervous system contains more than 500,000 touch detectors and more than 200,000 temperature gauges. What an amazing body we have. And yet, if you break down this old physical body into its basic elements, such as calcium, iron, you know, etc., it's only worth about $20. That's it. When this physical body dies, it deteriorates and becomes dust. Well, is that all that we're worth? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. You see, when you and I were conceived, God gave each of us an immortal spirit. And when our $20 physical body returns to dust, our immortal spirit will return to God. And then that's when we ask the question, what am I worth to God? The psalmist asked about the same question there in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5. Psalm 8, 3 through 5. He said, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. 
So why has God placed such value on this $20 individual? Well, when our immortal spirit returns to God, we're going to face God in judgment. And because we're going to face God in judgment, God has placed great value on us. So let's try to answer this question. What am I worth to God? You know, we, first of all, we are worth so much to God that he created us in his image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God made us in his image. He said, Let us do that. The word God there is from the Hebrew word Elohim, which is the plural name of God, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So he revealed himself then to us through the physical world. In Psalm 19, look at verses 1 through 6. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run his race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit to the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So God has made himself known through the physical universe. And in Acts chapter 14, look at verse 17. Acts chapter 14, verse 17. <clears throat> That verse says, Nevertheless, says of God, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So God, again, he has revealed himself through the physical world that he created. In Acts chapter 17, look at verses 24 through 28. Acts 17, 24 through 28. Paul here to the Athenians made this comment. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, 
and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So what is Paul pointing out here? He's pointing out that through the physical universe, we know, unless we are biased against God, and there are many that are, but anyone with any common sense knows that there is a supreme being. And because there is a supreme being who created all of this that we see around us and things that we can't see, then we should be searching for him. As he mentions there to feel after him there in verse 27 and find him. So we are to feel after him. The word means to grope after, to, to, to we're looking for this person, this creator. And in Romans chapter one, verses 19 through 22, <clears throat> Romans chapter one, verses 19 to 22, it says, because that which may be made known of God is manifest in them. In other words, it's made known to us. For God hath showed it to them. God showed it to us. We've already seen these things. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. You know, all we have to do is logically look at this universe that we live in and all the things that are in it, we've already mentioned how intricate this body that we live in is. We know, we understand that there is a God, but there are those who will not accept that there is a God. They are without excuse though, because you're looking at the atheists, the evolutionists such as that. They are unwilling to admit that there is a creator. And the reason is, if there is a creator, then we are subject to that creator. We are required to live by the rules of that creator. And they don't want to live by God's rules. So the easiest way for them to get away from God's rules is just to say, there's no God. But that's just foolish. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, God revealed himself to us through the physical world. He also has revealed himself to us through his word. Let's go back to Psalm 19 now and look at verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> Psalm 19 verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> Those verses say, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The word clean there means it is pure, it does not defile the soul. Continuing the verse, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So God revealed himself through his word. He goes, he shows us out here he exists. Then he tells us how to live. In 2 Samuel 23, look at verse 2. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. It says there, the spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. That is King David speaking. We're looking here at verbal inspiration. Inspiration from God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. I'll get my, I'll be able to read here in a minute. It says there, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So here we have the verbal inspiration of God, God's word, as in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where he says there, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the word of God that we have is God inspired. It is God breathed. He inspired the writers of the Old Testament and the writers of the New Testament what to put in there. And then it's up to us to learn what it is. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of God. So God has put his word out there for us Again, kind of following the sequence, God created everything around us. We can see that there is a hand behind all that. God then instructs us through his word, and it's up to us to find out what his word says. So how much are we worth to God? We're worth so much to God that he revealed himself and tells us 
how to live this life to be pleasing to him. So we are worth so much to God, he gave us our immortal soul, and he's doing everything he can to save us. You see, God knew that we would sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where he says there, For all have sinned and come to a short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Sin is transgression of God's law. And because we have sinned, God also knew the penalty for sin, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And because the wages of sin and we deserve death, the last part of that verse says that God gave us a gift. And that gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because you see, God knows the value of a soul. Over in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, it says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, stopping there for a minute, if we follow Jesus, we're going to have to deny ourselves. And in that denying ourselves, it talks about taking up a cross. Whenever we take up our cross, what did that mean to someone here in the first century? It meant to die. You'll remember Jesus started out carrying his cross. He was unable to continue that. Simon of Cyrene was compelled to come carry it the rest of the way for him. But those who were crucified carried their crosses to their death. So if we are going to take up our cross, we have to deny ourselves, and Luke it mentions, daily, if we're going to follow him. Now, verse 25 of Matthew 16, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? God knows the importance of our soul. He knows our importance. And you think about it, he asked this question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? People give atheism for their soul. They will give money for their soul. They will give prestige and pride and everything else in exchange for eternal life. 
You see, that's what is so important about us. God does not want us to suffer eternally. So he set forth his plan before the world was even created. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says there, Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. If Paul was in a Roman prison, he would face death at this time. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the world began, God set forth this plan. Verse 10, he says, but is now made manifest. In other words, he has now shown it to us by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God gave us the gospel. God prepared this saving of our souls. He prepared his plan before the world began. In Titus chapter 1, look at verses 1 and 2. Titus 1 one and two. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after Godness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That's how important we are to God. And God wants everyone to be saved. Here in the book of Titus, look at chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Titus 2, 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, every one, teaching us. You see, this is the problem people have with believing there's a God because this is what they have. This is the way we have to live. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, he might ransom us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, the word means special, zealous of good works, 
And then he says, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. But God wants everyone to be saved because he has offered his grace to everyone. He has offered his grace to everyone. In 1 Timothy 2, look at verses 3 and 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants everyone to be saved. He has given us, he has offered us his grace. You see, we have to accept, we have to accept his grace. There in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, and begin looking there in verse 1. And we're going to be reading through verse 2. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith. Now notice, we access by our obedient faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So God has offered his grace to everyone. But our part is accessing God's grace through our obedient faith. So that's how much we are worth to God. He gave us his plan of salvation. He offered us his grace, his mercy, his love for us. John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We should not perish. We should not be condemned to hell because God did his part. The problem is most human beings will not do their part. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, where he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. So there are few who are going to accept the offer of God's grace. That's how important we are to God though. You know, sometimes we may get down and we may start feeling, oh, nobody cares for me. Uh, I'm all alone in the world. No. Remember how important you are to God and rely on God. And God, we are so worth so much to God that he gave us his son. Now, who is his son? Well, first of all, let's go to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. John 1, 1 through 5. 
It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was, uh, the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Well, who is this Word? The Word was in the beginning with God. The Word was God. Well, verse 14 tells us the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That Word that was made flesh, that is Jesus the Christ. We understand that. So what does it say about Jesus here in these verses? Verse 3 says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is our Creator. He is the one who created us. In Colossians chapter 1, look at verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Of Jesus it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him was not anything or, and, for, and for him and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The word consist means held together, to be held together. Jesus is our creator, and by his word, everything is held together. That's who he is, and yet he is the one who was made flesh and dwelt among us and brought the light into this world. Well, what did he do then? He left heaven. He left the wonders of heaven to come to this earth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 8, excuse me, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus left heaven, the glories of heaven, and he came to this earth. Now what did he do? Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 now. Philippians chapter 2, and begin reading there in verse 5. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Right there, we see again, he is part of the Godhead, the Elohim that we saw back there in Genesis chapter 1. But notice verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. The American Standard Version says he emptied himself. 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You know what that means? Men are to be servants to God. That's what God wants. You see, it's the problem is men don't want to be servants of God. They want to serve themselves. And when we serve ourselves, then we're serving Satan, not God. But anyway, verse 8, it says, And being found in fashion as a man, outward appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, you remember that whenever Peter was told by Jesus to put that sword up, he goes, I could call 12 legions of angels, and I wouldn't have to die. But he goes, but how then shall it be fulfilled? In other words, if he didn't come to die to be God's perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, God provided his own sacrifice for us there. If he had not shed his blood, we would have no forgiveness of sins. And that is the reason he left heaven and came to this earth to rescue us to rescue us from our sins. Now, again, why did he come? Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Every human being that sins is lost. And Jesus came to find us. He came to rescue us. And how did he do it? As we saw in verse 8, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He died. He was God's perfect sacrificial lamb for our sins. Going back to the book of Romans chapter 5 again, let's look at verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in other words, there was nothing we could do to have our sins forgiven. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Human beings. That's us. Who is Christ? The one who died, the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. Verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What are we worth to God? What am I worth to God? Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. What do we say there? We are made as just as if we had never sinned by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and he saved us from God's wrath. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, sinners are enemies of God, but while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God. We were made friends again with God. We, weren't no, we were no more enemies. We were made friends again with God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So again, answering the question, what are you and I worth to God? <clears throat> he died for us. He left heaven. He came to save us. That's what we are worth to God. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is there on the cross, and he just makes this simple statement. It is finished. When he had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What was finished? God's plan. God's plan for our salvation. He's sending his son, his perfect lamb, for a sacrifice for our sins. Was finished. God accomplished what he wanted to do. Now, God has done his part. What are we to do. What is left? Well, what do we have to do because of that? Well, we have redemption. Going back to the book of Romans, chapter 5, look at verses 9 through 11. Romans, chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Much more thou being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now we've already gone over that, but look at verse 11. And not only so, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, the reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God. In Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> it says, Of Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God loved us so much. What are we worth to God? He sent his son to die so that we can have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You notice what is taking place there. 
If we walk in the light of God's word, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we walk in that light, as God is in the light, we're going to have fellowship one with another. But that blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continues to cleanse us from all sin. Now, whenever we become a child of God, does that mean we're going to stop sinning? No, we're going to fall every once in a while, are we not? Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth's not in us. We are going to continue to sin. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much am I worth to God? How much are you worth to God? If we confess the sins we committed to God, God will forgive us and cleanse us. Verse 10, though, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. Truth's not in us. Don't be arrogant. We depend on God and we depend on Christ. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It says there, take heed therefore unto yourselves. And this is the Ephesian elders that he's talking to. Verse 17 tells us. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. His own blood the blood of Jesus Christ, here he is called God. And he is. He's part of the Godhead. But he shed his blood. You notice, look at this. He created us. He came to die for us. He shed his blood so that we can have the remission of sins because we are going to meet him in judgment. You see, Christ is coming back. We know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we begin reading there in verse 50. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, God, we are worth so much to God that he has given us the victory through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there in verse 13 to 18. 
It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that already passed from this life, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For, by, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So when Christ comes back, everyone is going to be raised from the dead. John chapter 5, we'll look there. John chapter 5, <coughs> excuse me, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Voice and shall come forth, they that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So we're all going to be raised from the dead. But then notice this. Christ created us. He came to die for us. And he is going to be our judge. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. And then in over in Matthew chapter 25, beginning there in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he, the Son of Man, set upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then in verse 41, Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, God did his part. But here in this scene that we're looking at, the goats, the unrighteous, did not do their part. And they're punished into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But those who are faithful, God, what are we worth to God? We are worth hearing this. Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God made that happen for us. That's how much we're worth to God. God in Christ care so much for us, Holy Spirit being that as well, that it moved them into action. God sent the Son. He died for us. The Spirit inspired the Word of God so that we can know how to live. He revealed Himself through His creation and His Word. 
he gave us an immortal soul so that we can live with him forever. And he has done all that he can to save us. Well, we're worth so much he sacrificed his son so that we don't have to face his wrath. God's done his part. The question is, have we done ours? You know, what we do in this $20 physical body is going to determine where we will spend eternity. What I do in my $20 physical body is going to determine where I am eternally or from now on eternally. So what do I have to do? I've got to hear God's word. God provided it for us. I've got to hear it, Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, believe God exists, and that his rewarder of them that notice diligently seek him. We are to seek him diligently through the study of his word, through the obedience to what we find in his word. And again, it mentions here in Hebrews 11:6 that we must believe also in Matthew chapter 10, 32. Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. And this doesn't, you know, doesn't just go with one time. This is a continual operation. Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. What are we confessing? That we believe he is God. We show that in our lives, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Paul wrote that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, that, let me just turn over and read it. I tried to quote this and I get confused at times. Well, let's just go over and look at it ourselves. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So right there, we see that we must believe. We believe unto righteousness. And then we are to repent. Acts 17.30. It says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at or overlooked, but now, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, and in Luke 13, verse 5, that except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We must repent. A change in attitude leading to a change of course of life. 
and then confess, as we saw in Romans 10.10, 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, all these are leading up to this step where our sins are forgiven, and you can't leave any of these out. There are those that say, well, the grace of God will just cover that for me. No, you have to repent. And in Acts 2.38, Whenever the people there on the day of Pentecost heard the sermon that Peter had given, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one in the name of Jesus Christ, for unto the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And you have some that try to say, well, they didn't say, didn't say, and not be baptized. Well, if you don't believe, why would you be baptized? Does Jesus have to say that? Did Jesus lie? When he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Believeth and baptism are connected by that little conjunction, and. And in Acts twenty-two sixteen, Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Sins are washed away by the blood of Christ in baptism. And then be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. So what are we worth to God? Worth more than we could ever imagine. Well, again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for tuning in today, and Lord willing, we'll see you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also you can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoy this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.